right, Red Rocks Austin, take a seat. Hey, my name is Ethan. I'm one of the guys on the team here, and I want to thank you for coming today. Uh, how many of you have been here the last two weeks and came back for week three of a series that's about generosity, sacrifice, legacy, which means we're talking about money? Anybody been here? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to give you a special thank you because I know how easy it is to find an excuse not to go to church when there's a conversation about money. I get it. I totally get it. So thank you for being here and being willing as a church family to talk about something that might be a little uncomfortable. And, and hey, if you're new here and you're like, I haven't been to church in weeks, months, years, and of course I show up and they're talking about money. Or you, you brought a friend. My friend Melissa brought a bunch of friends today. And you're thinking like, really? Money today, dude? Anything else, please. Just know that this isn't something we talk about all the time at this church. We actually have never talked about it in sermons until now because we want you to know the heart of this church before you know the needs or the tangible dreams of this church. And that's, that's really what I, I pray that you will hear today, even in talking about something like money, is the heart, not just of our church, but of Jesus. Uh, a heart of sacrifice. That's the title of this message, the heart of sacrifice, if you're taking notes. And um, it's something that we will talk about as a church and that we don't want to be awkward or taboo because generosity is one of the four pillars of Red Rocks Church. It's one of our non-negotiables. When we were going to move down here to plant this church, the senior pastor of all of Red Rocks, Sean is his name, he told us, the thing I care about more than anything else for you guys in Austin is that you're generous. Even if you go down as a church, which he said he didn't think we would, and we were grateful that he said that. It was encouraging to hear. Go down generously. It's the non-negotiable that we were given. And so um, we as a church strive to not just say that we're generous and that we have a heart of sacrifice, but to actually put that into action because it's really easy. And I imagine every church when they start says, we're going to be generous, but it's a whole different thing to actually do that. And so uh, our church really was born and exists out of a heart of sacrifice. So Sean, his wife, their friends moved to Denver, Colorado 15 years ago, left behind paychecks and comfort and the known to plant Red Rocks Church, to build a front porch for prodigals and welcome people home and make heaven more crowded and since then have put stakes in the ground and continued to, this church being one of them, to say, hey, we're going to keep being generous and keep dreaming big and keep having a heart of sacrifice. The very first building that Red Rocks Church owned was in India, was a, a safe house for uh, sex workers, women and children in Calcutta that the church bought and gave to a ministry, a moment of saying, we're not just going to say we're going to be generous someday, we're going to do it right here in the beginning. When uh, a first few months of the church's existence, when you're scraping to survive to the next week, there was about $10,000 in the bank for rent and necessity expenses, but the guys who started this church heard about a, an Ethiopian pastor in Denver who had some needs, and they prayed and said, we're going to give him the $10,000 and not keep it for ourselves. A bold decision of generosity to put a stake in the ground, and, and we at Red Rocks Austin, we exist because of that heart of sacrifice. A couple years ago, there was an offering, just like the one we're taking part in with our family in Denver and Brussels and around the world today, and people gave and made it possible to greenlight this church that you're sitting in right now to make this possible because of the heart of sacrifice of our family. And some people in this room, a lot of you, you have contributed, whether it's finances or moving here or your time, your energy, serving your heart of sacrifice makes this possible. It's, it's who we are. And even outside of Red Rocks Church, you might remember back in March this year, a church, Jubilee Fellowship Church in Denver, 
decided one weekend to give us, Red Rocks Austin, their entire offering, which was $80,000 for our church, a heart of sacrifice. So that's our legacy. That's what we have been given. And I want to tell you those things because I'm not bragging. I didn't make any of those decisions. That's the legacy that you're a part of by being in this church family. That's, that's what we are already a part of and that we're building on top of. And so we at Red Rocks Austin, we're saying right now in this series, hey, we're going to be generous. We're going to have a heart of sacrifice. And that sounds great. But in order to do so, if we really want to build the kingdom and not our kingdom, and we want to dream for things that, that God could do through us, then we have to be willing as a church family to talk about money. We just do. And money is probably the most polarizing topic there is in church. Like, I can get up here and, and challenge you in your time. Hey, God's giving you time on earth. Use it for his glory. Serve, read scripture, pray, spend time with him. And you're like, yeah, that's challenging, but you're right. I get it. Challenge you in your relationships, marriages, parenting. We can tell you, you need to get in a group. God wants us to live in community. And, and getting in a group means that you're going to get in your car every week and drive across town to somebody else's house with some people you may not know very well, talk about life, get real, dive deep in your faith, which takes a lot out of you, a lot of energy, especially for the introverts in the room. But you'll hear that and say, no, that, that's right. That's, that's how God intends for our relationship with him. That's, that's what he intends when it comes to our relationships. This has convicted me. We as a church every week say, hey, would you trust us with your kids for an hour? Check them in, and we'll help them grow in their relationship with Jesus. And we as parents are like, scan, take them. Some of you guys are like, can I leave them for a couple services? <laughs> but we're, we're so quick to, to hear from those things. But the second that we say, hey, would you trust us when it comes to finances? Hey, would you even consider giving a little bit to help further the mission of this church and what we believe we could do? Everyone's ready to fight us. More than talking about kids, more than talking about relationships and time, money is this polarizing thing. And I get it. I totally get it. And I think part of that is because in life, we can look at time, we can look at the things that God's given us, like gifts like people and children, and we see them as these gifts from God. But money is the thing it's easiest to say mine about in terms of God. Because those things, are, you know, some of those things are miracles, and that I exist is crazy in itself. But my money, the amount I have in my bank account, I earned that. I worked for that. That's mine. We in church sound like the seagulls in Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 you know. Dis nobody's gotten Disney Plus at any service in this church. Hey, I'm plugging Disney Plus today. Maybe they'll take part in this year-end offering. That would be sweet. Let's go, Walt. I think he, he might be dead. Whoever runs Disney now, rest in peace, Walt Disney. Um, all right, we're getting off track. So, so we can talk about all these areas of life, but money is this polarizing thing. And, and we, we like have church baggage. Some people heard messages that were in your face and condemning and manipulative. And so you're like, I don't want to hear about that. that. That was mishandled or I didn't like how that was communicated. It was a guilt trip. Jesus died on the cross. Who, why wouldn't you give? You better give. And you're like, well, that's kind of a harsh message to just walk, walk out from. So I don't want to hear about money in church. And then what happens to the church is that we realize, well, nobody likes to hear about this. So we may tiptoe around the topic. I'm guilty of that as a pastor. I just kind of tiptoe when it comes to money. I don't really want to push somebody because that's clearly the area of life that we all get the most up in arms about in church. But the problem with that is that we isolate this topic and talk about it differently than everything else in our relationship with Jesus, and we hold it out here, and we don't talk about it in the context of 
a relationship with Jesus. And when you remove the relationship element, then it's easy to either ignore the topic or justify why, well, that's, that's a separate thing. That doesn't have to do with my relationship with God. Or it becomes this kind of guilty thing that you just know, like, I probably should give or be generous or do something, but, but everyone tiptoes around it. And my fear about tiptoeing around a topic like money and removing it from relationship uh, can, be, can be said through a question that um, my buddy Andrew and I were sitting at breakfast talking about, that we came to this conclusion, we were talking about money and its effect on the world, and we said, hey, if money is the number one reason in the world for divorce, then what might it be doing to our relationships with God? We say all the time things like, oh, you've got some money and you're getting married, sign a prenup. Marriages are 50-50, but the worst thing that could happen, worse than your marriage ending, would be that you'd lose some of your money. Don't go into business with friends or family. Relationships and money don't mix. That's going to get ugly. You're going to end up hating each other. We are always admitting as human beings the power that money has over us, even to destroy the relationships that we care the most about. And so if that's true, then what might it do or be doing to our relationship with God? And I know that's heavy, and I don't want to just speak from, from my ideas because I want to get to the heart of Jesus when it comes to the heart of sacrifice. So I want to look at some scripture. And, and here's an interesting fact for you to know. There are 500 verses, roughly 500 in the Bible, that deal with prayer and faith, huge components of life. And there are 2,000 verses that talk about money. It is the topic that Jesus most discussed it is the most common illustration of his parables. 11 of his 39 parables were about money. Talked about it a lot. So let's look at the main idea of what Jesus is getting at in two different passages, two tellings of what he says. The first one, Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. We read this week one. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Skip to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, pretty clear what he's saying. It's pretty straightforward. I want to just give you a little context to that story. In the time that Jesus said this, what everyone was working for and wanted to attain and have in life were precious cloths and metals. So Jesus is saying, hey, don't work your whole life for something that moths can destroy, that rust can destroy. We're, we hear that and we're like, yeah, well, that's right, duh. Cool, man, thanks for having me over to see this new cloth that you bought. Sweet metal. And 2,000 years from now, people are going to look back at us and say, those people who spent their whole lives devoted to being able to have iPhones and MacBooks that couldn't, under, couldn't even withstand water, <laughs> right? That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, there's, there's treasure that's going to stay here, but there's treasure that goes beyond this life, and that's where you should focus. Here's Luke 16, starting in verse 13. Here's Luke's take on this concept. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. 
Look at the shot that Luke takes at the Pharisees, who what? Loved money. So Jesus isn't condemning money in itself. Money is a neutral thing. He's talking about what money can do when you love it to your soul, how toxic it can be when you love money. And the Pharisees' reaction reminds me of me and a lot of us that go to church when it gets brought up. They sneer at him. And they start playing the justification game of why they don't need to listen to that or, or be generous or have a heart of sacrifice, just like I have done many times in my life. And Jesus is challenging us here, saying, hey, if when money gets brought up in terms of your relationship with God, if you're sneering and you're angry and you're playing the justification game, you might love money. It's convicting, for me at least. All right, Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 6, Paul echoes the same thing even more strongly. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager, eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Just because you have money doesn't mean you love it. And money is not the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some of us have experienced the many griefs that come with walking away from God because we're more consumed with money or we know people who have. And this, this message from Jesus and, and how Paul explains it and what this series serves as for us, I think is a warning light. Because if this applied 2,000 years ago, how much more in our capitalistic culture in one of the richest countries in the world does this apply to us? It's strong. It's in your face, right? I can feel that in the room right now. Here's why I think Jesus is so clear and strong and talks so much about this. When he was asked to sum up all of life, hey, Jesus, what are we supposed to do as people, as God's kids? What do we do? He said, anything you do, do it out of love for God, right? So Jesus, how should I manage my time out of love for God? How should I raise my kids out of love for God? What kind of spouse should I be? One that does everything you do out of love for God. What, what about my talents and my gifts? Use them out of love for God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Everything you put your hand to, everything you have, everything you're given, operate with that in a relationship with God and, and use it out of love for him. So it's abundantly clear. There's no debate that the number one thing that Jesus tells us to do is to love God, and that's going to allow us to love his people. And it's also abundantly clear that the number one obstacle getting in the way of the thing we are most supposed to do is loving money. Jesus makes it clear. The number one obstacle in your life to loving God is loving money. And that's why we have to talk about it in church. That's why it's a huge part of our lives that we all kind of act like, well, well, money, uh, why would we talk about that in church even though we, we work for it, we spend every day of our lives thinking about it, worrying about it, we spend it to survive. It's a huge part of the human experience on earth. And Jesus is saying, don't ignore this. And, and don't make an excuse and say, oh, someday when I'm in that tax bracket or I don't have that student loan or then I'll be generous. Because he's saying, if you can justify not being generous today, you'll be able to justify it five years from now. This is about the heart. This is a heart issue. Judah Smith, he says it really well. 
I got to find it because I went past it. He says, our nature is to sacrifice what is forever for what is finite. It's just how we're geared as human beings. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked what should he do, what did Jesus say? Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Why did Jesus say that specifically to that specific man? Because he loved money. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the wee little tax collector, a guy whose life revolved around money every single day has one interaction with Jesus and he sells half of his stuff, gives it to the poor and says, anybody that I have cheated financially, I will pay them back up to four times the amount, which probably cost him greatly because tax collectors cheated people constantly. One encounter with Jesus and he saw, oh, this thing that has held all of my attention, all of my affection, it doesn't even compare to this guy. And I'm going to use what I have the way that he would use it if he were me. The danger, though, of these passages and the way that they often get preached and maybe have at you is you hear these and then it's like you walk out thinking, okay, so the only way for me to really be a legit Christian is to be poor? Is that what you're saying? I live in the United States of America. I'm in the richest 1% of the world. How do I reconcile that? So I just have to be poor? No, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. This is a heart issue. And there's been people, there were people in the time with Jesus that had a lot of money that loved him. There's been people since that have financed the kingdom of God because they had money. They just loved Jesus and not their money. We hear in Luke 8 that there was a group of women who bankrolled Jesus' ministry. They obviously had money. You may remember Paul's letter to the Philippians. That church in Philippi got off the ground because of a rich businesswoman named Lydia that Paul met and she caught the vision and Jesus, and she said, well, I have a lot. I got a big house, so let's meet here. I've got a bunch of stuff. How can we help people? How can we resource and build our church? And fun fact, Lydia was rich because she sold purple cloth. People were crazy about that stuff. <laughs> I know. So obviously, you don't just have to become poor to be a legit Christian. And what happens in church and what we hear is just like the extremes when it comes to finances. Hey, give to our church and God's going to probably give you more, which is not a biblical formula, nor is it the point. Or we go to this side and it's that poverty gospel side. Yeah, I see that you have money. You have a car. You're not really probably a legit Christian. Here's my thesis on this. Neither material prosperity nor material poverty is the point or the answer. The answer is a higher view of money and understanding of it in light of the heart of sacrifice. We should feel joy when we give. Sacrifice, generosity should bring joy, not condemnation, not guilt, like for a lot of us it feels like, because of how God designed it. I was talking to a buddy of mine named Anthony who's a financial planner, and I wanted to get some input from somebody in the profession that deals with the world of money all the time outside of working in a church. So we're talking about all kinds of things, and he told me about a client of his who has more money than probably everyone in this room combined. He's one of those guys that had an idea, became a website and an app, and everybody loves it, and he's doing pretty well. And Anthony still takes my calls, so that's how you know he's a good guy. He said that when he, when he sees that client, when they've talked about his life, this guy has told him, the happiest moments of my life are when I'm giving my money away. This guy has everything we all want. Everything we're all, everyone in this room is working for right now. Everything you've got your eyes on, this guy can buy it. 
And he says, the happiest moments of my life are when I'm sacrificing. And maybe you can relate to that. I, I think that God wove this into existence and creation to be the moments where we feel the most joy and the most full in sacrifice. Even the word sacrifice comes from two Latin roots. Sacker and feist is how I'm going to say them because I don't know Latin. <laughs> makes sense. But when you put those two roots together, it means to make holy. So the idea was a sacrifice. You're setting something aside from the secular for the sacred, something you're giving to God. And what I believe is happening when we sacrifice is that we are being made holy, which makes sense because all of Jesus' ministry and life on earth, the fulfillment of it all came to an end at sacrifice. That was the fulfillment of Jesus' time on earth was sacrifice. And so in sacrifice, we experience him. We're made holy. It's why when you go on the mission trip, you give to the charity or you give to your church or you hand something to the homeless person on the corner, when you go out to the refuge ranch like some of you just did and decorate it for Christmas for some girls who came out of sex trafficking, those moments are when you feel the most alive. They're addicting because God designed it that way. Because sacrifice is where we experience Jesus and wholeness and freedom, and joy. And the church, crazy to think about, we were laughing about how Red Rocks Church has thrived and existed and grown for 15 years, and I believe will continue for far more because of a heart of sacrifice, because of a basket going by and people deciding if they feel generous that week. How crazy, like, no one would start a business on that premise. <laughs> the church has survived for 2,000 years because Jesus handed a heart of sacrifice to his followers and they said, okay, we get it. We hear in the Acts 2 church, they were selling things, they were giving whatever, they were doing whatever it took to build the kingdom. And that's the kind of church that, that we want to be about building the kingdom, not our kingdom. And so that's in the church context, but the business world agrees with us when it comes to generosity and sacrifice. I read an article this week, Why Your Company Should Give. And it was all about why these corporations that spend all their, their year, everything to make profits, why they should give some of that away. And it was very much from a business, secular mindset of tax deductions. Okay, that's good for your business. Take that a step further. It points to the fact that our government values generosity enough to let us deduct donations to nonprofits and churches when we file our taxes. Our government agrees with generosity. It was saying uh, your business will do better because you'll acquire more customers if they see that you give money away and that you invest in your community. Okay, maybe that's a marketing play in somebody's mind, but, but that's saying, if you take that a step further, that we the people, the consumers... We want to work with people who are generous. We want to invest in companies and buy things from companies that think bigger than just a dollar sign. Anthony and I were, were talking about his meetings with clients when they show up with their money and they're saying, hey, grow this. And one of the first questions he will ask them is, hey, what do you, what do you want to give some of this to? What are you passionate about? which is a really odd question for the guy who's supposed to keep your money safe and grow it to ask you, hey, let's get rid of some of this. He believes in, in purpose in money that is more than just having it. 
And so he told me he would estimate about 85% of his clients, new people, they're meeting with him for the first time. They could throw something in his face and walk out. He said about 85% of them already give somewhere, want to give to something, and that's part of the reason why they're meeting with him. Or this light bulb comes on and they're like, oh, I got to go find what I'm passionate about. There's purpose to all that I've attained. We were putting abstract numbers to, or no, we we're putting numbers to abstract concepts. And he was saying, I would, I would think I could tell a client, if you gave 10%, let's use, use 10% because it's a common number for giving. If you give 10% to the, the mission of your church or a nonprofit or a cause, whatever it is for you that you're passionate about, watch the happiness, joy, fulfillment sectors of your life and how they grow. 20, 30, 50%. That was his estimate as a financial professional. He said that 100% of his retired clients want to give to something. The people who have made it, what we're all working towards, a time in our life when we can just do whatever we want. We have enough to do whatever we want, and they get there, and they say, I want to give this away. I want to know that everything I did in my life counts for more than just a number on my bank account. I want to leave a legacy. I want this to outlast my life. And so... If we're seeing this all over the world and God designed sacrifice to be something that we experience holiness and joy and fulfillment, then I don't mind being pushed in this area and I don't mind pushing our church in this area because those are the very things that we all say we want the most. And, and we want as a church to have that heart first for you to know the heart of sacrifice that we have. I'll double down on what Doug said week one. If you hear this today and you're like, yes, generosity, sacrifice, I get it. I want it to be a part of my life. This just isn't my church or I'm not going to give here. Fine. Totally fine. Just give somewhere. Go give to Celebration Church. Go give to Awaken Church. Come find me after service. I'll give you 25 places that you could give some money to that need kingdom funding. We want the heart of this to be what you get. And to ask ourselves this question, the obvious question would be, do I serve my money or does my money serve me? What I would ask as Christians is, do I serve money or does my money serve the kingdom of God? So, so I can put all this out there onto our church, but let me talk about us and be transparent about us as leaders, the ones that, that make the decisions here at our church. Uh, a lot of you know from our stories, our faith was ignited in the mission field through seeing uh, people who sacrificed to send us places and then being in those places, watching people who sacrifice day in and day out to build the kingdom in their part of the world. Like a pastor named Timothy in India that we spent time with that goes to the red light district and, and he helps children escape a future and a destiny of being a pimp or a prostitute so they can go to school and know Jesus and have an actual future. We had a front row seat to things like that. We've had people like Sean and the guys who started this church, or John and Chris Leach at Jubilee Fellowship Church who gave us $80,000, people who have sacrificed greatly for us and that we could learn from. We've had a front row seat. And God, through those experiences, he gave us these moments and these experiences preparing us to be leaders of a church, to actually have a heart of sacrifice. I can talk about how we were in a red light district and, and my worry when we tell those stories is that people will say, oh, yeah, well, those guys, I mean, they went to India. They're like super Christians. Here's how I think about that. 
God had to get me on the other side of the world in a red light district to start taking the selfish, self-centered heart out of me to give me a heart of sacrifice. That's how extreme of a length he had to go to because of how selfish I'm prone to be. So don't hear these stories as, as us do, going to do these great things. God was taking us to school when it comes to generosity and sacrifice. I remember being in a, a village in a country called Burundi with Doug and Ryan, and we were literally having a conversation about how we could spend or should spend one dollar. One dollar that was given to us and had a real conversation about it. How do we steward this one dollar that's been given to us well? And I look back and smile at moments like that, and I'm so grateful for them because years later, God knew we would be having a conversation. How do we steward $80,000 that somebody just gave us? How do we put a stake in the ground and not just lip service to say we're going to be generous, but do it? And when that money came and we were blown away and so excited, we said, okay, Timothy, a couple other partners and friends of ours, and we sent $25,000 straight back out. We're a church plant. We've got all the excuses in the world, all the reasons to keep all the money that's given to us. And we said, no, 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 look at the legacy that we come from. Look at the church that we're a part of. Look at the stakes in the ground, the decisions that have been made for us to even exist as a church. So we're going to put a stake in the ground. This past summer, we did Love Our City, all of Red Rocks, and we got to give away in Austin $25,000 to local organizations through serving initiatives and checks in the mail to support the work that they're doing. And these are, these are not me bragging. God took us to school to give us a heart of sacrifice so that we could get up here with integrity and call our church to be generous and sacrificial because it's not just, oh, the, the church is generous. It's that the people that make up the church decide to have a heart of sacrifice. When we, I'm getting transparent here, when we uh, were dreaming up this church plant, the makeup for it from budgetary standpoint from the mothership in Denver was that it afforded there to be four staff members to start. But there's five of us that we knew we had the five roles we wanted, five people, and we felt like we could do more and get this church off the ground more quickly with five than four. So we said, hey, we'll just take smaller paychecks so we can all do it together. Not heroes not some amazing decision. I just want you to hear, and maybe it's unnerving for you, me being this transparent about money, but if you hear it from your leaders, then maybe it won't be this awkward, taboo subject in our church anymore. Maybe we can just talk about it, be real about it, and actually celebrate and feel joy in days like today when we take an offering because of what God is going to do. See, all of those experiences, that front row seat that has led us here, we saw what resources can do to build the kingdom of God all around the world. We got to see it firsthand. And so we get up here and, and make fun of each other. Ryan said some of the nicest things he's ever said in his life about me today. We all felt uncomfortable in that moment. We don't take ourselves too seriously, but I promise you that we take stewarding the resources that God blesses this church with through you very seriously because of that front row seat, because of how we know it will build the kingdom. We take it very seriously. Red Rocks Church, uh, we have staff in Denver that... They're, they're there for the finances. They oversee budgets. They work to make sure that we're diligent and good stewards of the money that comes to our church. We have non-staff, non-paid, nothing they get from Red Rocks, a financial board of professionals. Those are the ones who set staff salaries and make the decision on those things. They speak into uh, with wisdom and discernment on big financial decisions we make as a church. We put things in place because we take stewarding the resources of our church very seriously, and we mean it when we say that we're going to be 
generous. And so we want to put stakes in the ground. We're in our first year as a church, and like I said, we can have all the excuses in the world, but we just made a decision for Red Rocks Austin that you're all a part of. Some of the offering today is, is part of this. In the church plant life, all anybody ever asks you about is a building. When are we going to get a building? When are we going to get a building? Here's, here's a building announcement for you. Our friend Riley, Allie, they're here. They're right over there. You can talk to them more about this. They, they have an organization called Humanity and Hope. And uh, what they do is develop and empower and reach people in Honduras, an incredibly poor nation. So Riley came to us and he said, hey, right now in this area, there's a bunch of families that need homes. It's about $8,300 to build a home. Would Red Rocks Austin consider it? And we're like, well, okay. We can talk our way out of this. We can justify, but no, no, no. We know the legacy that we came from. We, we're putting another stake in the ground. And so the very first building that Red Rocks Austin will ever pay for is going to be a home for a family in Honduras that we're going to give to them. And you can celebrate that because that's all of us together. That's not three or four or five of us making a decision. That's a church family that says, no, first we're going to have a heart of sacrifice. First we're going to be generous. So in 2020, you'll hear more about a family that gets a home because of your heart of sacrifice, this offering today. Uh, one of the, the stories that I love where I saw this principle of a heart of sacrifice in such a poignant moment happened in India with that Pastor Timothy that I told you about. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with the ending of this story because it's the funny part. And if I end it where it ends, then nobody's going to actually hear the serious heart of the story because it's so ridiculous. And so um, here's some pictures to, of the ending of the story. So that's my wife, Stephanie, and I. Yep. Real poses. There was a surprise wedding celebration for us in India because we had just gotten married when, when we went. And I guess it's tradition. You go take these glamour shots. <laughs> We're in a studio. Our friends are watching, which is the worst part. Look at that. They're having us make a heart with our hands, but we didn't, it's like cultural. We didn't want to be disrespectful, so we're like, okay, this is, and then I just kind of got carried away, but um, yeah, my wife, of course, can pull that off. Me, not so much, but so that's where the story ends. There was the surprise wedding, and for some reason, then you, you go take those pictures, and we have a full album of them at our house, which probably the, one of the most surreal moments of our entire lives. Um, here's how we got there. Timothy, uh, you know, goes in the red light district and he brings food to prostitutes. He prays with them. And he told some of them that a friend was coming to visit with some of his friends and his new wife. And so the sex workers, these women, prostitutes in the red light district, decided to throw us a wedding celebration, a surprise. So we're walking through the red light district, we show up with some food and, you know, we're the ones there to do the, the noble act or whatever on this mission trip. And the people are coming out to look at these Americans that are walking through the red light district of all places. We walk past this one house, this dad opens the door so his little like three-year-old son could see us. And the kid turns with a food full of, uh, a mouthful of food. And literally, I could you not, spits it out like a movie when he sees us because we were the first white people he'd ever seen in his life. So right down from that house, the women kind of rush us to this, this other house. And before we know it, it's just full-on wedding mode. They're painting us, putting those, that hat thing on me. 
and singing and dancing and celebrating and they're talking through a translator to us and we have this amazing celebration. And I have to give a balancing statement because sometimes some people, what they hear out of this story is you took part in a Hindu cultural ceremony. We didn't summon demons or pray to Hindu gods or anything like that, I promise you. But there were Christians in the city who got mad at us for associating with Hindu prostitutes. But I think that Jesus would probably, of all places in that city, be with the Hindu prostitutes. And that's why Timothy goes there all the time. And so before we left to go take our glamour shots, uh, Timothy made sure we could thank these women because what we came to realize is these women, sex workers, because of a corrupt and horrible society and problem in their country, they had scraped together some of their own money to pay for that ceremony. Imagine loving guests from far away more than the few dollars that you have to your name. You talk about a humbling moment for us. And it wasn't the amount, it wasn't the gifts themselves that moved our hearts that day. It was the heart of their sacrifice. And I was walking away from that like, God, I wanna love you and people like that. I wanna love you and love people more than my money like that. How can everything I have be used to build your kingdom? We learned a heart of sacrifice from those women that day and, and I, I know that like we can hear that and it's like, okay, so we come together with the little that we have to God. And in light of an infinite God, the little that we have as human beings and we say, okay, God, we love you more than our money. We love your people more than our money. Here you go. And I think that moves his heart. And I don't want you to hear manipulation of God in that because you don't put God into debt. You can't. But he tells us if there's one thing to test him and it's in our giving. He says that the lives of the generous will grow bigger. And the mistake we make is being too small-minded when we hear that and think only in terms of growing materially. But so much more importantly, what happens when we give is that we grow spiritually. And what I want more than material blessing for this church is for spiritual blessing to rain down on this place. I don't, I don't want God to see our heart of sacrifice and just say, okay, I can get blessing to that church. I want him to see our heart of sacrifice and say, I can pour blessing through that church. When I'm on my deathbed and I look back on my life and, and getting to be a part of planting this church and my life's work, building this church with my best friends and my family, I will call it a success if I can say that God used Red Rocks Austin, operative word is that he used us to build his kingdom and to leave a legacy in Austin and in Denver and in Brussels and in red light districts in India and, and villages in Burundi and homes in Honduras, in the next city, wherever it is in this country that there will be a Red Rocks church plant someday, the next one. I want that to be what we can look back on and say that outlasts our time here. We left a legacy because we came together with the heart of sacrifice and God saw it and he said, okay, I can get blessing through those people. So let's go to work. That's what I want. And the, the smart thing in a message like this to do would be to end it right there. We're talking about the red light district, big picture, powerful. But I'm gonna end this the opposite way of how you should end a message that's about money because I wanna talk transparently about how God's been challenging me personally when it comes to this concept. Because I love, I love glamorous giving. I love those kinds of stories. I want my tithe check to free the woman in the red light district or feed the kid in Africa. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's out of the right 
heart. But where God is challenging me is, hey, can you, can you get excited about unglamorous giving when you don't have something to point to? Can you see past one, one moment, one gift that can create a cool idea or a cool opportunity right here and now? And can you embrace a lifetime of investment into the kingdom? Here's how he's challenging me is through an email I get every single month from Mobile Mini. And they, uh, they send me the invoice for the shipping container that's outside of this building that holds all of our equipment. During the week, it keeps it safe. If you don't believe that all of this can fit in that container when you see it in the parking lot, we would love to have you on the teardown team. And this email every month has felt insulting to me for two reasons. Number one, the account we have with Mobile Mini has my email address, but it has Doug's card. So he's the one who needs it. So I have to forward that email to Doug every single month. And it's like, one more thing I got to do today, which is so small. And you're like, you probably could just call them and fix that. You could have done that in January, which is true. And we didn't. And now I think I know why. Because I started to look at that email and I realized that the amount we spend for renting that shipping container outside every single month is the exact same amount as the first tithe off my first paycheck that I give every month. So we're talking about life change. People are getting baptized. We're going to do things in the world. And, and I'm like, sweet. And I'm paying for the shipping container outside the building. Sweet God. Awesome. Heart of sacrifice. What a payoff. I got into ministry, honestly, if I'm, if I'm fully honest, because I wanted to figure out how to get the resources inside these four walls, outside of them. And I have a missional mind, and, and I don't think that's out of a bad heart. But God's been challenging me. Can you get just as excited about what's happening inside the four walls of the church as you can outside of the four walls of the church? Can you get on board with things like the overhead, the unglamorous giving? And that's Organizations 101. You guys that run a nonprofit, you know it. There's just, there is those mundane things that we give to. And I was thinking about that shipping container and the fact that it keeps all of this equipment during the week. And then on Sunday morning, we show up and this amazing team of volunteers comes in and through setting it all up, we build this camaraderie and relationship. And we experience the fulfillment and joy that comes with sacrificing our time and being up so early in the morning. And then it's all set up and we get to have excellent, enjoyable services where people experience God in this place. They hear the gospel. They hear about things like groups, sports, hangouts. They find family. They start to discover the purpose that's within them and then they go lead other people to Jesus and they bring people around to find family. And then we get to dream and, and have impact and fund a house in Honduras. And part of the reason, a very small part of the reason why that's possible is because of that stupid shipping container that I pay for every single month. A couple years ago, somebody, somebody's tithe paid the electricity bill at our Littleton campus. So that microphones and screens, things like cameras could operate so thousands and thousands of people could hear about Red Rocks Austin and say, I'll sacrifice towards that. And we are literally, right now, in the fruit of the heart of sacrifice of somebody who paid an electricity bill at our Littleton campus. Mundane, not glamorous. But I believe that as we embrace the heart of sacrifice as a church when it comes to shipping containers, electricity bills, checks to organizations, homes in Honduras, creating media, graphics, and videos, and advocating for those who can't advocate for themselves when we write worship music, 
that brings people to get to experience Jesus through worship. When we pay for Instagram promotions and people walk in, how'd you, how'd you get here? Why'd you come? Instagram. We pay for breakfast burritos so that we can fuel our serve team that makes all this possible. When we can embrace all of it as a family and say, this isn't taboo anymore, it's not awkward. We're investing to build the kingdom. Mundane or glamorous, we're in. God sees that heart of sacrifice and he will use this church because of it. He will use us to build his kingdom and there is no greater thing that we could be a part of in this life. And we will leave a legacy for our children's children and their children's children. And it's gonna be the kind of treasure that Jesus was talking about. Eternal, an inheritance of a heart of sacrifice and generosity that they can go build on top of. And so I'm gonna pop back up in between these two songs and pray for the offering that we're taking today. And my hope during this first song is that you just have a moment to reflect on this, this topic, wrestle with God, My goal today is not to try to squeeze a few more bucks out of the room. My goal is that a heart of sacrifice, the heart would be what you would hear. And for those of you that are dropping an envelope today, that that you, as you feel the weight of sacrifice, God knows there's weight to sacrifice better than any of us. He went first. I pray that you would, as you feel that weight in this moment and you drop, you hold that envelope in your hand and then you put it in a basket that, man, you would feel the fulfillment and the joy and the holiness that comes with sacrifice. So let's sing this song.